Welcome to the Casmine Podcast, where we bring you insights and conversation from the world of indirect procurement. Hello and welcome. I'm Graham Crawshaw from Casme and uh, delighted to be here with uh, Omar Abdullah to uh, give you some feedback from the webinar that, uh, that we held last month. So Omar, great to be talking again. Great to be talking to you as well, Graham. Good to be back together in a little bit of a different format for us. No live video, but we're doing a podcast. We certainly are. Well, we had so many questions and statements made from our, our webinar, which was all about procurement retaining its seat at the table, that we thought, well, let's just have a chat. Let's share some of those questions and hopefully give some answers as well. That would be, uh, that would be helpful. So what we're going to do is divide the, the conversation today into different parts, starting with inflation, then looking at cost avoidance, supply relationship management, and finally talent. All the statements and questions were covered in those areas. And then finally, we're going to share the, the top results from the poll that we conducted all about retaining the seat at the table. Now, we had almost 200 uh, category managers, other procurement professionals join the, the webinar last month. And so it's great to be here providing that summary. Let's start with inflation, because let's face it, that's probably top of everyone's list at, um, at the moment. And let's share those initial podcast poll results with you. We asked, what are the top techniques to address inflation? And the top three were to negotiate discounts by benchmarking, to negotiate a maximum price increase, and to look at extending contract terms. But those were just the top three. We, we had some other points as, as well. And I think one of those first ones were looking at some of the benefits around should cost modeling. Now, I know Omer, that's something you do uh, to a lot of. What, what's your views on this? Yeah, I think uh, I think should cost modeling has a tremendous value, and I think it's applicable across both direct as well as indirect categories and across product groups, uh, for that matter. You know, when you're grappling with this issue of inflation, you know, what's the key problem? I mean, well, the key problem, of course, gets into supply assurance and continuity. But, you know, the key point is that you want to be able to have a strong conversation with your supplier base about why and how and why inflation is impacting them. And should cost modeling helps you uh, have a more educated conversation, if you will, right? So what it allows you to do is it allows you to break up the cost, the price, if you will, into its constituent components and have a relevant conversation about why the fixed versus variable costs are where they are, what's driving those fixed versus variable costs, and Understand all of that in the context of what's happening in the marketplace, right? In the product group, in the supplier's com um, uh, competitive community, if you will. So should cost modeling is really a, it's a fantastic tool. I do want to point out one thing, and, and that is when, when a lot of times when folks want should cost models to be developed, they look at them as this sort of perfect tool. Um, and they're a super helpful tool. They're extremely valuable, but it's important not to use the word perfect next to them because the idea is every, every company is different. Every company has different levels of, let's say, automation or manual activity. Uh, they use different processes. They are located in different areas and regions. And so 
the should cost model, what it allows you to do, the way I sort of think of it is not get to the answer, but it allows you to ask the right questions so you get to the right answer for your organization and the relationship that you have with your suppliers. So I think it was a, it's a, it's a great, it's a great tool, uh, to have. It, it really arms you to be able to do something much more impactful and, and, and make for better decisions accordingly. Uh, so, and, and I think every organization and regardless of category, you need to be thinking about how do you embed, uh, how do you develop and embed should cost models into the conversation that you have not only uh, with your supplier base, but frankly, internally across the organization as well. Excellent. No, that makes uh, makes perfect sense. And to to get an understanding of that detail rather than purely just looking at the price of uh, of something. And and interesting, we had some great questions during the uh, the webinar, and and one of them was around sort of environmental social governance, so ESG and inflation. And the question posed that sort of, well, is there a link in terms of needing to pay living wages and also trying to achieve sustainable farming costs? I think that there's never an answer to all of these, but I think actually that should cost modeling, understanding all the parameters that go into the contract is what you really need to, uh, to take on board. I think after all, yeah. we know your CFO the, the main objective he or she will have will just be to, to keep control on costs and prevent sort of runaway, uh, runaway costs. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and look, uh, the way I sort of think about this, you're right. Look, there's no silver bullet. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of debate camps on all sides saying, you know, while we need to have a focus on sustainability, is it too much? Is it too excessive? Is it getting in the way of us being able to, uh, operate profitably, et cetera, et cetera. And the way I sort of look at it is, you know, n not to get overly philosophical, but I think the way I look at it is if you think long-term about your relationship with your suppliers, if you think long-term about how you collaborate with those who provide the inputs that allow you to do what you do uh, in your organization, then ultimately that's going to lead to long-term viability. It's going to help you weather inflation storms and other storms better because you're building stronger relationships, right? So all this points around, you know, paying a living wage to suppliers, right? Having mm. better methods that you utilize, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things are done in collaboration with suppliers. And if you do that, you build a stronger relationship. It's a two-way relationship, not a one-way, let me tell you what you need to do approach, yep. but rather, look, let's talk to each other. Let me explain to you what I'm grappling with and you help me understand what you're grappling with. And let's come to the right answer that's fair, uh, that is appropriate from not only an economic point of view, but from an environmental point of view. Uh, and let's get there together, right? And let's, let's, let's sort of share this idea of what the bearing the costs of getting that done. And I think if you do that, it not only pays off from a business point of view because you have more supply assurance in my perspective, and you have more supply continuity as a result. But frankly, I think your customers want it. I mean, you know, particularly if you're a consumer company, and of course, as much as that in a B2B or industrial context, if you will, customers are demanding it. They're, they're expecting us as organizations to abide by and provide better products that are more aligned with the environment and where this whole idea of, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion and where all of that is, is, uh, progressing and trending towards. So I think it's the right answer long term. And I think ultimately it, it provides you with more, it, it does provide you with more supply assurance. 
the supplier knows that you value them and they value you and you, you get that impact back in return. So I think there's, uh, it was an interesting point of conversation. I think it's tons of debate, but look, first principles, let's do the right thing at the foundation mm. and build on it from there. And that was one of the points on one of the polls where we were talking about an inflation sharing model. And essentially, that's where you both, you and your supplier, you understand the pain that you're going through and, and look to negotiate to work it out. So sharing that, uh, that pain. I think the last point on inflation is uh, a, a recommendation from someone that was attending on the, uh, the webinar. And they said, why not ask the question? What's my company doing that the rest of your client population is not? And is that costing me more? Or what is everyone else doing that we're not? It's all about getting an understanding of what's going on so that you can adjust and, and manage the situation as appropriate. So that was yeah. inflation. Yeah, 100%. Sorry, I was just going to add there. I think that, that, that speaks exactly to the point around two-way conversations, right? The more you have that conversation, say, look, it's costing me this much. Help me understand if there are things that I'm doing that are creating a problem, right? Or things that I'm doing that aren't aligned with what everybody else that you're working with is doing. Let's try and change that if it makes sense. Um, and, yes. and, and where it doesn't make sense, where it's needed, that's fine. I, I'm then aware of it. I'm paying more for it, but I understand why. And, and then I, you know, we go from there. Excellent. So let's move on, talk about cost avoidance. I mean, we had a number of points being made. It's a really interesting debate because a lot of companies have been skeptical of cost avoidance, but with the pressure on inflation, it is necessary to recognize the value procurement delivers can come from cost avoidance. And from the survey result that, uh, that we had at, uh, at CASME, the definition most likely to be accepted by finance is cost avoidance being that negotiated saving on proposed increase or reduction in price based on volume on projected in the budget. So really interesting and, and becoming more, um, more important. And one of our people on the call was saying, look, it can be the only option if you're already a, a mature uh, procurement function. So you've got to know what you can uh, can do, and um, it's all about again <laughs> keeping costs down as as much as uh, as much as possible. It's a shorter one, this, but anything else on cost avoidance from your perspective, Omar? No, look, I I think it's uh it's such a tricky topic. We talked about this on the on the webinar last month, right? We we talked about how for so many years, CPOs and category leaders would come back and say. Look, I, I, I'm not, I can't even have a conversation around cost avoidance because, uh, my CFO doesn't want to hear it, right? They don't, they don't, uh, consider it real and they don't want to deal with it. And look, I get why, um, that was happening. Um, and there were, uh, there were both valid as well as invalid reasons for that happening in those days, but, but certainly plenty of valid ones. I think we're in an environment or we've been in an environment of the last year to two years in particular where I think, CFOs and, and CPOs and others have accepted that cost avoidance is, is real. We have to gauge on that basis because frankly, for many categories, running an RFP and trying to get a X percent price discount is it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Suppliers yeah. will just say, great, if mm. you want that price discount, great. I get it, but we're not servicing you. I'm going to take that volume. I'm going to give it mm. to somebody else. Right. And, and, and that's end of story. Right. And so what I think the key thing with cost avoidance is, is I think the reason 
there was so much debate about it was that it was very nebulous in terms of how you thought about it. And I, I know uh, Graham Casmi and you guys have done fantastic research on this in terms of looking into this topic and understanding what the community thinks about it. But I think it's important to have strong baselines, understand uh, what the current cost structure is. I think it's important to understand what's happening in the marketplace. It's understand. It's important to benchmark and see where prices are going and where underlying cost drivers are moving to. And then it's important to use that data and that information to then translate that into what does it mean for me? And mm. what can I reasonably legitimately do from a pricing perspective in the context of how much I buy and what I buy and the specifications, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And by putting that all together, you can then come back with a view that says, okay, I have to pay more. There's no question about that, but I'm only paying X more versus X plus Y more. And I've got a solid basis for that. And again, it comes down to data, right? That's, that's the problem. Really, that's why CFOs had this issue is because they said, well, there's no foundation for it. I don't understand why you're saying I avoided cost by X or whatever it is. If you have the data and, and you can show it, again, I'm not saying it's going to be a no debate argument. There will always be a debate on cost avoidance, which is why it's such a controversial mm -hmm. topic. But I think that's the basis of it. If we have that basis of it, I think we have better conversations and we learn to grapple with it because it's a reality today. There's nothing we can do about it. Absolutely. And, and it really ties back to the should cost modeling that we, you spoke of just a, a little, little earlier. And it also ties right. in to, um, other webinars that we've done around data analytics. You really have got to understand what it is that you're buying. And this day and age, there's no excuse for not, not having access to the data, the ability to really understand whether we're talking direct materials, or even indirect. There's enough information there now that just that ignorance is just not really acceptable. You've got to use yep. the data, you've got to use your knowledge, and and then manage it accordingly. Yep, 100%. Excellent. Supply relationship management was the third topic that we spoke an awful lot about on the, uh, uh, on the webinar. And the poll that we did stated uh, 38% said that they'd learned lessons from the work that they did in 2022. And it was all about building stronger relationships. It was the most highly scored response on that, uh, that poll. And, and I think we know that. I mean, we've been talking about SRM long enough now that it is all about relationships. That is what procurement is about having the knowledge on the data, but using it in terms of those um, those relationships. And a lot of the conversation and comments was around demonstrating the value to stakeholders. And I think it's, I would hope that following the recession, following the Ukraine war, following the issues we've had on interest rates, utilities, inflation, that actually stakeholders would realize by now it's the relationships that have got us through. And I think that's the message that needs to be built on now in 2023 to really move that forward. And you've got to get that joint win-win for both supplier and, um, and for procurement. Yeah. I mean, Omer, from, yeah, any, what, are you, what are your thoughts on SRM? Oh, my gosh. You know, we <laughs> talked about this at length uh, last month uh, on the webinar. We always talk about, you know... Uh, I want to be, you want to be the supplier of choice, the supplier of choice. And I think it, what's happened is, is we've always talked about this, but it's come to the fore that it's not just about being supplier of choice. It's also about being the customer of choice, right? 
do your suppliers mm. want to work with you, right? And SRM yeah. is part and parcel of that entire conversation, right? Not only internally within the organization, but externally with suppliers as well. How do you build better relationships? How do you build it's such a cliched word, right? Partnerships, you know, we're partners, but are you really partners, right? And are you really taking the steps to show that partnership? So I think, uh, I think SRM, you know, um, it's a it, supplier management is such a critical topic. And you know, just on that point around um, demonstrating the value to stakeholders within the organization, I think that's a pretty important step. I think everybody needs to understand that, right? But I think we start with defining what it is and being very clear as to how we think about supplier relationship management. I think we need to explain to our internal stakeholders what the impact is of doing a good job when it comes to SRN. I think we, pri- of course, you know, any organization, you pick any global organization that we that we uh, that we talk to and, and frankly even you don't have to be global but you typically have thousands if not tens of thousands of suppliers that you're grappling with so it's about being thoughtful in terms of how you break out the SRM strategy around strategics uh, versus um I'll, I'll use the word sort of transactional suppliers mm. right that you may have and and really it's about hearing out everybody's point of view right that whole two-way voice of the supplier you know, we do a lot of voice of the customer surveys. You know, let's get a voice of the supplier survey in as well. So I think there's a lot to be done around SRM. I think it's still an area that is everybody uh, philosophically agrees that it's a critical topic. It's an important topic. But I think putting it in a practice is very individualized versus institutionalized, if you will. Right. And I think we have some work still to be done there. And I think there's plenty of people who are doing it really well. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of folks who are doing it less well probably because it's less structured and thought through in terms of how they implement it. But I think it's a, you know, there's a reason why it, it came up in this webinar and it's come up in prior webinars as well, right? Mm. I mean, you, you got to figure out how to, how to grapple with it and how to, how to really bring it to life in your organization so that everybody, all relevant stakeholders understand it and agree with it. Yeah. I mean, we were asked the question that aside from creating competition, how could you work with many smaller suppliers well, I'm not sure that you can. I think supply relationship management is for those suppliers that are critical to your organization where the spend is high. It isn't for the tail spend. It's not for the catalog suppliers. That's where you almost need to differentiate. Now, of course, you need the governance of working with those smaller suppliers, but that's not SRM. That's a, that's a different relationship. Unless that supplier really does mean so much to you, that you need yeah. to ev- elevate what they do and, and therefore manage the relationship for, for reasons that, I don't know, it may just be a security issue. It may be a, another governance issue. But yeah. you can't do SRM for everyone. Then 100%. That, that, that's just, it's, it's yeah. just too much. And you shouldn't. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, it, and, and, you know, and again, I think what that alludes to, what you're saying is, when you look at your quote unquote strategic suppliers, it isn't just the big spend suppliers, right? That's not the way you categorize them, but you got to look mm. for strategic players, uh, bottleneck suppliers, if you will, where, okay, the spend might not be material, but if we don't have that in the production line, everything stops and there's nowhere else to go to. Well, that's suddenly that's a strategic supplier for you, right? Or whatever term you want to use. Yeah. And so I agree. I think, you know, it's not for every single supplier. Um, but you do need to think hard about it for specific ones. And I, and I think with, you know, with, in that context, um, with the relatively smaller supp- suppliers that are part of your sort of, let's call it your strategic set, right? 
um, if we were to sort of break this down into, you know, your tier one suppliers are the big, are the biggest, most critical, most strategic suppliers, the ones you have to focus on. There's typically like a tier two, which is this middle bucket where they're sizable, they're pretty important, but they're not quite at the level of strategic suppliers. And tier three is, let's call that your sort of transactional group, right? Where they're relatively more commoditized. You can switch them in and out, et cetera, et cetera, right? I'm oversimplifying here, but let's just say for the tier ones, I think we folks are, are doing as much as they can. I think people need more structure there. I see a lot of organizations that don't have consistent structure in how they approach that, but I think that's relatively better and more thought through. There's more mental bandwidth that's applied to that. Tier two is what I think is interesting. They're smaller companies relatively, uh, typically. Um, and we need to be thoughtful about that. And I think building relationships there, you know, just to throw out a few ideas, right? You know, maybe I'll pose some questions. How do you become more open book with these folks? How do you do more education and, and knowledge sharing with these organizations, right? Look, how do you produce? What does it cost you to do this? Let me tell you what it costs us to do this. Let me tell you how we use what you send us. Let me tell you what some of the issues are in terms of what I'm getting. And by the way, what I'm, you tell me what I'm, what problems I'm creating for you. Um, again, you get into things around how can you treat them differently, right? How do you, part of building relationships is giving them better commitments, right? Not keeping them quote unquote on their toes all the time in every single aspect of the relationship. Maybe it's about better terms that you put in place with them. You know, relatively small organizations need cash much more urgently than bigger organizations do. Why not recognize that? And why not move away from 90, 120 day terms to something much more reasonable? Et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's a lot of tactics that you can pick up and, and drive forward. But, uh, but I agree with you. I don't think you can do it for everybody, but for those that you do it with, I think it's important to be structured and thoughtful and open in that, uh, sharing process. Excellent. Yep. Totally agree. You know what? There's so much there. I, th I think that's the making of a future webinar that we can have. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's keep everyone in suspense. And uh, maybe that's for a later one, uh, later on this, uh, this year, we can address SRM. As also the same for talent, another really hot uh, hot topic that was uh, the uh, the source of a number of points and and sort of questions. And I think yeah, there's so much to cover that. I think that also could be one for for later this year. But during the the webinar, people were sort of asking and and sort of highlighting that you've just got to invest in training. You've just got to invest in procurement professionals so that we can keep pace with what the sales organization is doing and what other management teams are also uh, sort of working on. And the comment that, yeah, talent speaks of the ability to engage and create that uh, alignment. It, it's a hot topic. There's a, there's a lot to be uh, a lot to be worked on in, in talent. And of course, with the shortage of qualified professionals that have got those soft skills and the ability to manage the relationships, it's not surprised that that's a, a target for this year to really focus on. Yeah, 100%. And, and you know, I think the, the foundational question that we asked in this webinar was around how does procurement retain its seat at the table, right? As yeah. we go into this, this environment, uncertain environment. And there's all sorts of things you can talk about, right? Well, the CPO should build this kind of relationship with the CFO. And uh, you know, we should build should cost models like, like we just talked about. Uh, we should do this sort of inflation mechanism, et cetera, et cetera. All of that is great. All of that is valid. At the end of the day, if we are not taking care of our people and investing in our people in the right way, even in this difficult environment, that's a problem. 
right? It doesn't matter what strategies we put in place. It doesn't matter how much we institutionalize. It doesn't matter how much we improve things. If we don't take care of our people, it's not going to matter because, uh, you know, as we enter into this environment, we got to think harder about how do we give them work that is fulfilling, that is value adding, that has them contributing to something more than just cutting costs. That's critical, right? So how do you help them prioritize their goals? How do you help them have more a balanced set of objectives? So they're not spending the next 12 to 24 months thinking all I'm doing is going and beating down suppliers, right? How do I um, have a stronger focus on the team? How do I make sure people are part of the overall strategy that we're trying to fulfill in procurement uh, beyond simply cost management? How do I empower them to do the things that they have to do and let them get on with it because they're good people. They're smart folks. Let them get on with it. Give them the, the power to, and leeway to do it. And then, of course, how do I over-communicate? Right? I'm, I'm talking from the standpoint of a CPO. How do I over-communicate so that they understand what's happening? So I think those aspects is critical. That's how you engage. That's how you create alignment. And that's how you ultimately get your uh, goals um, delivered and achieved uh, through the organization. So I think, you know, Talent in and of itself, it's like SRM. It's, an, it's a t- topic all in and of itself Yes, where we can just spend um, ages talking about what to do there. But, you know, my, look, here's my concern. My real concern is when you go into recessionary environments, naturally everybody has to cut budgets. Everybody has to cut costs. I get that. But one of the biggest casualties is training and development for people in multiple mm-hmm. different forms, right? That typically goes to, I mean, it, goes, it drops materially, if not goes to zero because we think it's the most expendable thing that there is. Well, Maybe we need to flip that on its head. It's not, it's not the most expendable thing there is. It's actually one of the most important things that there is, but maybe we're not spending it in the right way. Maybe that's the question to ask and say, what do I need to focus the spending on and not cut that? Because when you lose that, your people stop developing and they stop growing. They stop getting thinking about how to broaden and get better opportunities. And then they leave. And then we say, well, what, why am I losing all these people? Why can't I get people? Well, that's why, right? So that emphasis is essential it's critical so talent i think you know oh my gosh we could keep talking about it for an hour but it's it's just so it's so it's so important of a topic uh to grapple with absolutely so yeah maybe that's also for a another conversation and uh we can uh, uh understand more as to the direction that that's uh that's going in so those were the main themes that came through from the uh, the webinar that we we had conversations about inflation, cost avoidance, SRM, and and talent. We ended the webinar by doing a poll and saying, look, now that we're in 2023, how do we retain that seat at the table? And the top three responses to that were, first of all, align with strategic objectives, then partner with the CFO, and then also invest in technology and digitalization. Now, you could argue those were the pretty much the priorities for 2022. So it's, it's not that we've been able to fix them last year and, and this year we're fine. It's an ongoing challenge that, uh, that we've got. But I think it's really useful to recognize the focus of alignment yeah. to what the business is doing. Procurement can't work in isolation. It's got to work with an alignment and then support the CFO, which is probably then an easy way to achieve that. And then also recognize that business cases have to be drawn up. You have to invest in technology and digitalization to, to enable procurement to, to improve, get more 
from the uh, the data that you're collecting, simplify those more transactional items, leaving the category managers to really focus on adding value. And as we know, it's going to be tough this year. We've got enough going on that uh, you really do need your resource focused on addressing all those uh, those serious issues. Do that, and that seems to be what those attended were saying will help you retain the seat at the table. Yeah, no, look, I, I, I mean, I, I think that's exactly right. And, and I have nothing more to add on those points because I think you've covered it perfectly. I'll, I'll, I'll flag one thing which relates to our talent conversation. And I think somebody actually raised that um, in one of the chat or Q&As um, that came up during the webinar. And that was, uh, I think they said, I'm paraphrasing, they said something along the lines of, I'm surprised talent didn't make the top three, investing in, in, mm. in your talent. And you know, fair point. Why is that, right? Is it because we take it for granted that we, oh, we're just going to do that anyway? Is it because we don't prioritize it? You know, either way, I think there's a bit of a message in there, right? And, and, and I thought that was an interesting comment that that individual made is, you know, we, we talk about these three things. Yeah. hundred percent align with strategic objective. hundred uh, percent. Let's partner with the CFO. Of course, let's invest in technology and digitization. We have to do those things, but let's also look after our people. To me, that, that is part and parcel, right? So how do we continue, uh, empowering them? Uh, ensuring that we're, we're communicating with them, that they're enthused and aligned with where we're trying to go, and they feel a part of that journey. And then we continue to invest in them, of course. But uh, but 100%, look, those are critical priorities. I think it's going to be interesting and exciting to see how the next 12 months develop. So when you and I sit here and uh, and do our our uh, wrap up for 23, it'll be interesting to see what the what the takeaways are and where we where we ended up. I say, were we right? That's the uh, that's the important point. Uh, have we have we sussed it out? Well, it's been well, great. We're always sort of be right, Graham. <laughs> we're always going to be right. <laughs> of course, we're right. Yes, it, it, it's been great to to summarise the questions that we and we always run out of time for questions on our webinars. But it's been great to summarise the questions and also the chat, the statements that everyone made in this uh, this format. So I hope you've enjoyed the uh, the conversation Omar and I have had over the last uh, 30 minutes or so. We're now looking forward to future webinars that will be uh, running between the Smart Cube and, uh, and CASME. So look out for those in the future. But uh, for the time being, um, all the best and look forward to seeing you at our future webinars. Thank you. Goodbye. For Thanks now. very much. We hope you enjoyed this CASME podcast. All episodes can be found on Spotify and the Apple Podcast app. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss a future one. If you'd like to find out more about CASME's procurement events, research and benchmarking, get in touch with us at casme.com.